podcast called uh, Dub Jellyson Podcast. First ever type 1 diabetic in UFC history. Uh, doing fine, Dub. Nice to be with you. Get out! <laughs> He's like, yeah. My tunnel vision and my periphery, I'm like all field. Hey, you know how it is, Dub. Hey, when you're, hey, when you're team. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. What's up, everyone? We're back with another episode of Dub Jellyson Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mercer Assistant Coach and former Purdue Boilermaker, DJ Bird. DJ, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, so I know you just got back from vacation. Uh, so how much how much needed was that after just the stresses of the basketball season? Um, well, I think, shoot, every coach in the country could tell you they needed a vacation. And um, it was just kind of fortunate for me that my family, I haven't been on a vacation with my sisters and uh, mom and dad and, you know, nephew and new niece stuff like that so it was good to see some family for a week enjoy some weather and uh now back at it here uh, recruiting some players and off-season workouts and that sort of thing so uh, I think I speak for every coach and they were like man after that it was nice to get away for a minute and enjoy time with the fam Mm -hmm. and I mean you're already in Georgia like I don't know if you know up here it's snowing today right (laughs) so I mean well where'd you go for vacation we went to Destin, Florida. Uh, my mom was able to find a place either off Airbnb or Verbo or one of those things that uh, pretty close to the beach, easy walk. And then uh, I got to enjoy the pool for a couple of days, a couple of days of rain, uh, but it was nice to, to be with fans nonetheless. Yeah, it's a lot nicer than up here though. So. Yeah, I mean, it's been up and down. I've, I've talked to my you know parents up north and it gets cold and hot. I'm, I know how that is. It's about 65 here today sunny so it's not bad that's one thing about i've noticed about georgia you get about 10 11 months of warmth and warmth for me like kind of like you understand it's cold up there so um you know we don't mind keeping it 65 in our house 63 yeah. during the winter months and and then obviously during the summer you use the ac to keep it a little cooler because it gets pretty warm mm-hmm. yeah um so you kind of talked about how basically every coach in the country kind of needs a little vacation Mm-hmm. Uh, time to get away. So talk about all the protocols that you guys had to go through and how stressful it was for not only the players, but the coaches and um, the rest of the staff within the program. Well, I think it was just the uncertainty. Um, you know, you kind of got used to daily changes, uh, schedule changes. You know, we were supposed to travel to New York to play Syracuse. We were supposed to play at LSU. You know, our, obviously every team had to restructure their schedule to we were able to play some good teams in state uh, we were able to go up and beat Georgia Tech uh, we played Georgia State twice got them one of those you know we split with them and then played at Georgia Southern uh, got a win, big win down there at the last second on a buzzer beater so you know that was kind of the first step is getting scheduling right let's get some games and then when it comes to protocol you know every day in practice uh, obviously temperature checks we're, we're fortunate enough at Mercer University to have our own student health center that's that was early in terms of testing and having our athletes tested so we were able to do that I shoot by now I can't remember the frequency but it was pretty frequent and even to this to this day I know we still get tested weekly and for those that aren't vaccinated and everything but it was just different for for our guys in practice you know being a college athlete and not being able to go and see your family or see people uh, same for the staff and same for everyone around you you want to try to limit that exposure to you know what could be you know one two three week delay or just total cancellation of practice and whether it was preseason or during the season. So uh, obviously that happened with every team. You had a, you know, a positive test here, a positive test there, or it was a false positive or, you know, you had some issues there, but at the same time, the 
the main priority was just trying to keep everyone as safe as possible and taking every precaution to do so. And I think Mercer did a pretty good job of doing that uh, with the testing, with our protocol, with our, you know, just the way we had to do things down here, you know, as Purdue did, you know, I saw a lot of stories about them and, and they might've had to do it more extreme than, than even us. So uh, every school was different, but overall, you know, I think they, everyone had to do a good job to keep college basketball going. Mm-hmm. And did you guys have any positive tests during the season? Um, we had a couple. We had a couple. A couple more preseason. They were like in the summer when we went home. So it was, uh, you know, they had to go through. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm not one of the athletic trainers. One of our athletic trainers, actually from Purdue Christian, um, you know, that was his job this whole year of just, just keeping everyone organized and, and all, all that, man. So it was a lot for them. But, uh, you know, we were fortunate not to have too many players uh, miss any games. So, um, but we did have a few. Yeah, just unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just bound to happen with. Yeah. I mean, you look at Sasha Stavanovic, he missed, what, three games? And he was yeah. the only guy on Purdue to get it, which is just one of those weird things. So, um, yeah, I can. Uh, appreciate- yeah, that is that is kind of odd. <laughs> Yeah, he said I, I had him on the podcast um, while he was quarantining. He said that he thinks he got it from like one of the workers at the hotel when they played Ohio State. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's that was the hardest thing probably is we had a similar situation. Like one gets it, the roommate doesn't get it, and it's like, you know what what's going on? How is it transmit? And I, again, it goes back to the uncertainty. You know, not everyone knew exactly where they got it, how they got it, or. Um, if they had it and didn't know it, you know, all that. And I'm kind of in that position too. I might've had it, but I don't, I don't remember a time when I might've, but mm-hmm. I still get tested and I've had all negative tests this entire time. I think I've had over a hundred, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so you guys or how, like during the actual season, I know practices don't probably don't look the same as they would pre COVID um how hard is it for teams that improve throughout the year just given the different circumstances well I think it's um you know you're you're juggling a little bit more in terms of you know your student athletes have a lot of responsibilities obviously uh, in terms of school study halls um you know you could go on and on about about all that um so just kind of adding the COVID thing, adding those, adding those, you know, you want to keep your players in the right mindset. You know, they're expecting to come in. They want to, uh, you know, be able to practice and play big time games in front of fans. And especially at Hawkins Arena, you know, we expected to have full, like a full house here this year. Um, we had a good season last season, uh, finished top four. And then coming in here, all that stuff happened and it kind of changes the outlook. You know, you're playing and not in front of fans. So I think the main thing is just, was just trying to keep the players uh, focused on what we want to do. Uh, I think it depends on kind of what you do in terms of a basketball team. Like obviously we run a lot of, a lot of offensive stuff, motion type plays, uh, obviously with coach Gary coming from the offensive coordinating position, pretty much at Purdue, we did a lot of similar things down here. So you got to put a lot of time into that. Uh, so that's, that's what we did is really put a lot of time into our offense and, and had guys that could, that could excel in kind of what we did. So, um, you know, just trying to keep your players in the right state of mind, I'd say was probably the priority. And I think they'd tell you the same. It was like, it's tough going from, from class to study hall and then I have to go back to my room. I can't see anybody. I got to do my best to, you know, limit interaction. And so I think that was probably the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. You talked about the success you guys had last year and this year. Um, I mean, the turnaround that Coach Gary and you and the rest of the staff have, have done at Mercer has been pretty cool to watch from a Purdue's fan. 
um, or as a Purdue fan, I should say. Um, so just talk about like how you guys came in and um, you guys came into a team that was under 500 and then you guys have had, you guys have been building uh, the last two years. Yeah, well, I came down with Coach Gary um, after I was a GA for two seasons at Purdue with Coach Painter and the staff. And um, I came down as director of operations. So with me, it was a little, obviously a lot less on the court and more uh, itinerary schedules. I could go on and on and on about the responsibilities as a Dobo, as any Dobo would tell you. Um, but we came in and we had a good group of guys that uh, that just that just kind of wanted to win. You know, they kind of hated losing in, in years years before. So uh, going into our first season, it was like, hey, man, we just we got to get guys that can that really want to do this, really want to do that and do it at a high level. And we had a couple of seniors that were unbelievable. You know, they, they stayed with us. Uh, Georgie Dimitrievich, Ethan Stair. Uh, Georgie plays overseas in Spain. And uh, I think Ethan, Ethan's participated in the Purdue TBT. He actually played on the team uh, that played in the summer mm-hmm. last year. So those guys are huge parts of that. Um, and then be able to surround them with, with some shooters and a couple of big guys that gave us good minutes and everything. So uh, coming into the second year, you know, we kind of hit the hiccup like everyone with COVID. Uh, yeah. So you, you have some games throughout the year. We started the season strong with some big wins in the first five games, starting 5-0. and um, And then, you know, we lost a player here and there due to injury or uh, protocol type stuff. So, you know, for a game, we don't have him. You know, we, we play Wofford, we play uh, Furman, and we're missing guys. And just like every team had to deal with. So, uh, we had a, some some ups and downs from there, just with consistency and and, and the rotations we had to do, and um, so we ended up, you know, putting it together more at the end of this season. You know, we made it to the championship of the Southern Conference tournament, mm-hmm. and made it to the last day, four games in four days, and even the last four minutes of the championship game, and we had a couple really good looks um, against UNC Greensboro, who had a you know a great team the past few seasons, and um, you know the best player in the SoCon Player of the Year, Isaiah Miller. And um, so, like, we were we were right there. We almost needed just that last four minutes of legs to knock down those jumpers. And we, you know, pretty pretty close to going to NCAA tournament, which which would have been pretty awesome. I mean, just to, especially with the tournament hosted in Indianapolis this year, it was always like, man, we were so close to possibly paint, playing in Mackey Arena, you know, at Mercer. So, um, you know, we were just short. Um, but it gives, you know, it gives us some confidence and motivation for this offseason. Like, hey, we had these struggles throughout the year during the COVID year. And at the end, we were still able to pull it together. Like, imagine what we can do for this next season. So um, just keeping that in front of our guys. Like, hey, man, we're right there. You know, and just to, to keep working on what we're doing and doing it uh, at, a, at a high level and consistently. You know, you see all those videos of coaches saying doing it the right way in culture. I'm sure you saw those. and um you know what is the right way well it's it's how we do our things it's how we handle our business um our repetition repetition on a daily basis so that's what we're sticking with as we move forward mm-hmm. and you kind of mentioned the little like up and down swings that you guys had throughout the season mm-hmm. um so i think i think it was you guys lost three games in a row uh like four or five mm-hmm. when you're in that position how does the coaching staff kind of get through and how does the how do you guys as a team uh, like just make a switch and and uh, can get back to the winning ways. Well, yeah, and, and you look at those three games, and a, a couple of them I think were eighty to eighty-three. We scored eighty points, and you know we lose by three points, lose by three points. I think one was at Furman, uh, another one I can't remember. You know it was a close game. Most of our three or four of our losses were by three or five points. And so for us, it was defense. So like midseason, you know, whether that defense let up and we got comfortable or um, it was just something we had to keep work on it, working on. It was like, 
you know, we scored 80 points. We should win this game. We, we scored enough to win this game. We've got to do a better job of rebounding. We've got to do a better job uh, of contesting three-point shots. And so that was kind of our biggest struggle midseason was rebounding the ball. I think UNC Greensboro, uh, the first time we played them at their place, you know, they had – they scored 18 points off of our – off of our – we gave up, I can't remember, six offensive rebounds. And off those six offensive rebounds, they hit six threes. Or it might have been like 10 and they hit six threes. But either way, they hit six threes off of offensive rebounds, which, you know, those are demoralizing plays. And we had six of them. So it's like, man, we so we've just focused throughout the year towards midseason. I mean, we got a rebound. We have to play better defense. And um, you got to find guys that really want to win, you know, to really because to go midseason where you're at and you lose a couple of games, like, well, what's going on? Well, just you got to play harder defensively. Like when our shots are right there. So. Uh, that was the biggest thing right then to try to turn it around. And we got some big wins from there and uh, some ups and downs defensively and rebounding. But at the end, we were able to put together and, and play good basketball throughout the, the conference tournament. And and I think we ended on a good note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of, all of us Purdue fans were watching you guys um, throughout that tournament and, and up until the final game. How much did it sting for you guys to to come up that 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 close? Well, I think, you know, for up until this point, uh, one of our seniors, Ross Cummings, one of our best players, uh, second all-time three-point um, three shots made at this university. Like, that's the first conference tournament that he'd won a game in. And so that was our, our motivation. Like, let's do it for our seniors. Let's do it for Ross. Like, let's, let's win. So we beat Sanford. And like, hey, let's get the next one. And, uh, you know, we were able to get, you know, Wofford. And then we were able to get VMI. And it was just kind of – it kind of came together where we just built some momentum. And I think – uh, it was good for our younger guys to see that maybe guys that didn't get to play as much, uh, you know, guys playing for our seniors. And, um, and I think that was, that was the biggest part of, of that right there as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wanted to go back um, to kind of talk about your path in coaching. So you played overseas um, for a season and then you ended up coming back and coaching at the high school level. Mm-hmm. So talk about that, that process of um, ending that career and then focusing mm-hmm. on a new one. Yeah, well, I like you said, I was able to play in Germany right after college, um, and you know, at the time, I that's the first time I'd lived away from home. I obviously grew up thirty minutes from Purdue, played at Purdue, and then got shipped off to Germany kind of by myself. And um, you know, I had a couple of American guys on my team that kind of helped me learn. They'd been pros before, and it's it's pretty awesome to get paid to play basketball. Um, but you know, at the same time, you see it. It's so important to take care of your body. It's so important to get in the gym and, and earn your spot and everything. And um, it was it was cool because my my mom was able to visit. She'd never been out of the country and for some some things like that. And then at the end of the season, when it came time to to go somewhere else, I was like, man, you know, my sister's playing uh, Kelsey Bird. She played at IUPUI at that time. Uh, a cousin, Grant Gaylor, he was playing uh, at Belleville College in Mishawaka, and there was a lot of games. And I just felt like I was kind of missing some stuff. And at the same time, it was like. Um, you know, do I want to keep playing or do I want to go back and get back into coaching? So I came back from playing and I kind of went a different way. I was like, well, let's, let's see what I can do here. Let's see what it's like outside. So I did some real estate stuff. I interviewed a few financial plans or interviewed insurance. I was like, man, I just, I like basketball too much. I, I've played for too long. I, I know the game. I, I love the game. I love both playing it and, and coaching it and, and teaching it. So that's where I was like, I got to make a decision. And I was able to to get on as a, as a volunteer assistant for my alma mater, uh, for my cousin's senior year that year before he went to Bethel. And then, um, 
after that, I found a JV coaching position with Brad Dickey at Franklin Community High School, just south of Indianapolis, and uh, had two seasons there before uh, being a GA at Purdue. And then uh, it kind of led me here. So going going through all that, it, it's been a process, but it's just about, you know, where can I, where can I improve and, and keep, you want to get to the highest point you can get and, and you know, help as many as you can along the way. Um, just, and that's all been coaching, teaching basketball, which is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do the coaching styles kind of change from the collegiate level to the high school level? Because I feel like, I mean, you play that, Purdue, one of the best teams in the Big Ten in the country, um, year in and year in and year out. And then you go to a high school team, and they maybe, I mean, obviously they're not going to execute as well as uh, high D one schools. Um, so, so do they kind of get under your skin at all? Like you're so used to seeing such a high level of basketball, and then you go to the high school level and kind of have to sit back and change. Um, you're kind of uh, like your coaching style, I guess. Yeah, I, I understand that. And you're, it depends on the level that you're coaching. Uh, obviously, when I was at Franklin, it was, it was a great learning experience for me because I coached our third grade team and then I coached our seventh grade team. And then, you know, we had facilities that we could host leagues and tournaments and camps and all kinds of stuff. And it was a great spot for that. Um, so I was able to work with a variety of, you know, kids and, and, and players throughout the state and especially that, that community in that area. Uh, but you just, it depends on, who you're working with, you, how, how far to the fundamentals do you need, even though some of the basic fundamentals you need at the highest level, uh, a lot of times you can adjust, you know, I work out with Dakota Mathias, you know, he's been down here working out with us and I don't say anything to him. Like he, he, he has his workout. He knows what he's doing. He's been at the highest level. Um, you know, so I help him pass and guard and do a bunch of stuff uh, to help him, you know, try to improve where he's trying to improve. But then, um, you know, when you go back to coaching high school basketball, you're obviously not recruiting your players. You know, yeah. at least you're not supposed to <laughs> at the high school level. So um, you have the players that you have and you have to adjust to that. What are their strengths? This is how we're going to change it. What are, you know, do we have shooters? Do we have big guys? So there's a little bit. And then at the college level, you recruit the guys that you get, which has been a lot different now. The transfer mm-hmm. portal has changed everything, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, so I just, it's not frustrating by any means. It's just different challenge and a different point of view uh, to try to help the kid that you're working with or the team that you're working with uh, to be to be the best they can be and you know to see what to watch to watch kids see hard work pay off is like the best thing you know so whether a kid wants to accept coaching or not like you're gonna you're gonna keep trying and the ones that get it it's fun to see them do something they've never done before they you know they hit this shot or do this move and they look at you like hey man that's us working like that. That's the coolest part for me. So it doesn't really matter the age. It's just, you got to kind of adjust to that. Yeah. And you did mention the tent before I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as of right now, there's like 1200 or 1300 guys in there. Um, yeah. It's, it might be 15 now. It's, it's getting there. there there's, there's yeah. more and more kids every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I can kind of tell you that you're not a huge fan of that. And, um, they just, I think they just passed the rule where they're allowing the one-time transfer um, without the like redshirt season. Um, so what have, what are you guys, um, coaches at Mercer and then coaches around the, uh, um, around the country, what do you guys think about this whole transfer portal? Well, I'm not going to speak for coaches around the country, uh, but personally, you know, you look at, and I'm not saying it's every kid, but some kids, they, they meet either a point or a wall that, you know, whether it's, 
some sort of adversity or something's not going right. And now this kind of, and COVID obviously is the whole reason we're in this situation. Uh, but now it's like, oh, I can just transfer and everything. You know, I, I got new options, new opportunities. But a lot of guys, hey, your your problems will follow you. If you don't go to class, you know, you don't, you, you're not a good teammate. You're, you don't, like those things will follow you. You know, anything um, an institution is going to ask of you, which is one, go to class, do your best in school. Two, bring it every day, be a good teammate. And I'm sure you've heard those things before because that's what every coach wants. They want good teammates that want to get better, that love the game of basketball um, and that want to help help the team win. So if a certain player is not a part of that top six, seven, they don't think they're a part of it. And it's like, well, that's too, that's too bad. Cause you know, next year is probably your time. You just have to keep working. But I think kids now are getting distracted by the portal and just, Hey, I can go into the transfer portal and I'll find somewhere else. Maybe I can play more. But what they find out is it doesn't always go that way. You go there and I was averaging, you know, eight points here and I should have been averaging 15. And I go to this next school and things are looking better. And then, things don't turn out the way that I thought. So I've seen some kids that have been transferred to three or four schools by now, which is kind of whether it's JUCO to uh, division one or division two. And then now the one-time transfer, they're back in the portal, seeing what's next and uh, to each their own. But at the same time, it's, it's tough. It's tough now for a lot of coaches, especially, you know, whether we're trying to fill roles or we're trying to find somebody, but at the same time, the high school kids, the 21 class, even the 22 class is going to have a, kind of a rollover effect from from this season's one-time transfer rule and uh, with the scholarships allowed at certain universities, seniors coming back. So I don't know how it's going to turn out yet, but it just kind of seems off. And But maybe we can maybe we can get some good players out of it. I don't know. That's, that's kind of the goal, I guess. But you got to make the best of the situation. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of it because I was always one that you meet adversity and you you try to you try to beat that. You try to overcome that, you know, whatever that is. So um, it depends. Everyone's situation is different. That's how I'll keep it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, do you think that it will impact um, mid-majors more, like hurt them? Because, I mean, you look at guys that maybe they redshirted one year at, say, Mercer or another mid-major, mm-hmm. and they're averaging 20 points a game their junior season. And then they're like, hey, I can go play for a Big Ten team or ACC, SEC. Um, so do you think it'll hurt the mid-majors more? I don't know the overall effect that it'll have um, because I haven't looked at the exact statistics, but at the same time, I think kids that have tried that, it only works out for a very, for very few. They go from a mid-major to a high major. Mm-hmm. Um, they think their 22 points a game is going to transfer to the higher level, which some, again, in cases it does, but I think most overall um, – it doesn't, but kind of what I, the way I look at it now is that more, whether they're Division One programs or mid-major Division One programs, they're looking for kids that have playing experience now. Like, we need a guy to come in right away and give us minutes, or do we take a high school kid that's good and we would take him probably in a, if we had our, you know, certain guys that hadn't transferred or graduated, you know. So it's the twenty-one class now those that would normally be going to a mid-major are now probably going to a low major or an NAIA or a division two. So I think uh, some of the lower level schools will pick up better players because of the portal, you know, and kind of how that, that's a, that's a different effect that I've, that I've noticed too. But um, so it's, it's just, it's difficult for everybody. You know, I know, I know kids that have committed to schools and their, their coach has gotten fired and they've been committed for a few years and now they're, since they've been committed, they haven't been recruited. 
And now it's it comes to where they might have been a Division One player, but now they're looking at transfers instead of him as a senior in high school. So it's like, even though he's a really good player and could probably play there, you know, but uh, so that's kind of a different effect that I've noticed so far. And we'll kind of see how that plays out over over this over the course of this season. And at the end of the summer, when there's still a ton of players in the transfer portal and those kids are still there, what happens then and what do they do? Where do they go? Because like you said, there's 12, 13, 1400 kids in the portal now. Are they all going to find a spot? So, Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different variables. Um, yeah. But I really appreciate you talking about kind of working through adversity. I remember when uh, Purdue had Matt Harms and Nojo Eastern transfer last mm-hmm. year. Paint went on Dan Dogic and ripped them a new one, basically. I don't know if you saw that or not. but I, I saw that, yeah. He essentially said, I mean, you might you might have gotten your – degree from Purdue, but you're not a Boilermaker if you walk out. And I feel like that's that's a pretty consistent theme with um, with a lot of fans and coaches because they, they try to give their all to these players and then um, they think, oh, you're not good enough. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else and um, have a better opportunity, which sometimes it is. But, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's tough too because I, I know Matt. I worked with him um, a lot over my time there as a GA and no gel the same. Um, you know, and I don't, I haven't talked to Matt about this, but in my situation, he just must've thought that, you know, his minutes would go down since they already went down before Zach Eady got there before Travion was in his, his next season, you know, as a top, you know, candidate in college basketball. Um, and then he, he was able to get his degree from Purdue and I don't know what all went on there for him to want to transfer and go to BYU, but he's, he's obviously playing there and, and, um, you know, good for him. And then no gel. I'm, I'm not sure of his situation as far as, um, you know, what he wants to do. I, I know he's still working to try to, you know, play somewhere, no matter where that is, whether it's overseas or in the G League or um, whatever he's trying to do. You know, I wish he would have got his degree from Purdue. That might that would have helped in terms of transferring and maybe finding another opportunity. But like I said, it's do you want to, you know, do you want that challenge? Do you want to try to overcome that challenge or? now there's a way to get to get around it and go a different route so i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but yeah mm-hmm. so we can get off of that now but um so i want to go back to continue your path and in, uh, in coaching so what was the process like of coming to purdue um as a ga like you mentioned for those two seasons well that was that was tough too because i i just started um business when I was at Franklin too, I was starting kind of my own travel team and we were, we had some plans for, you know, a team camp and a few things in the works with that. And, um, quick story. I was actually, cause I wanted to get back into college basketball. So I was looking for different GA positions and I got a call from what well, was Kansas state. It was coach Weber's staff. They were looking for some GAs. And I talked to coach Weber a couple of times about the position uh, at the time. I was living in Indianapolis and driving down to Franklin and, and both coaching the players at the school and trying to build this uh, travel team business and everything, training and camps and all that. So one day coach paint texts me and goes, congratulations, man. Like you'll do great down there. Like, well, uh, coach Weber is a great guy, obviously. And, and, you know, those Purdue ties and everything. So I was excited. I was like, okay. And I, you know, I told my, um, I guess my fiance at the time, girlfriend at the time, Ashley, I was like, hey, we might be moving to Manhattan, Kansas. And she's like, oh, really? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we kind of started thinking that way. And, you know, a week, 10 days went by and I hadn't heard from Coach Weber. So I called him back again. And I was like, hey, Coach, just want to call out the position and maybe some schooling opportunities. And he's like, yeah, well, 
you know, I've been, um, I've talked to a, a few former players and we might have one come back for that position and everything. So I was like, okay, well, why did coach paint text me? Like, congratulations. <laughs> and coach paint was like, well, he's kind of all over the place and everything, but it ended up working out because, um, I was the day I was supposed to do my continuing ed to be able to be a teacher at the high school is the day that coach painter called me and said, Hey, we've had a couple of positions come up. Um, one of the analytics positions with Andrew McClatchy's now in, and then two GA spots. So I was able to, to get that kind of at the end before I had to take more schooling for the next season. But it, it also was, it was, uh, it was a great step at the same time I was in the middle of, you know, a bunch of travel team stuff. And I had to stop doing that because of NCAA recruiting violations and potential violations from doing both. So, um, so I had to stop doing that. And uh, so the coaches at Franklin kind of helped take over and they still did a bunch of tournaments and leagues and stuff like that. But uh, that's kind of what took me to Purdue as a GA where I was able to help, help the staff in any way I could and, and day-to-day working with players and um, just the student athlete life again, it was kind of fun for me to come back and, and be in that position because I wasn't too far removed from basketball as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, so just trying to help navigate those kids through just everything you run into. Yeah. On a, you know, on a daily basis, whether it's school or social stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. How, how much were you able to learn in those two years and um, how much could you contribute to those guys considering that you'd kind of been there, done that within the program already? Well, it definitely helped that I'd played and, and, um, knew offensively and defensively what we were supposed to do and what we were trying to do, uh, even with the guys that we had. So throughout those two years as a GA, I was kind of Coach Gary's um, right-hand man in terms of our offense and stuff. You know, I helped Coach Lutz and Coach Brantley uh, and obviously Coach Paint with some scouts once we got to some tournament times. Like I had, you know, a couple of scouts that I was responsible for, which was good experience for me um, to do those things. But uh, mainly helping coach Gary during the game. Cause you know, he's looking for the next, he's not even watching defense. He's down here and he's drawing up a play or writing down the name of a play. Um, so I would just help him. Hey, you know, whether just watching different things throughout the game, Hey, they're switching this or they're not opening up on this back screen. We might be able to get him at this play and just kind of be in his ear uh, kind of about what the, what was going on with the game or their high hedge and we can get a slip to the rim, stuff like that. And then he would be like, okay, I know a play that can do that. And it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of cool to watch. Uh, to have his playbook in his head and go through like, okay, what's, what's one of those plays that has a high ball screen slipping to the rim that'll be open. And you saw that a lot with the, the year we went um, with Carson Edwards and those guys to the NCAA tournament. But there was a few times when Carson Edwards just had the ball and it's just the same play every time. Hey, ball screen, <laughs> ball screen, ball screen. And then he would, he would do his thing and it, it worked out for him. But that was probably my biggest thing was I'd help with, help with stuff like that on the sidelines during games. And I think that was a good experience for me and uh, getting to this point. It definitely was. Mm-hmm. And did you, did you notice anything about paint? Like had he changed from the time you were playing um, to when you were a GA or notice anything that you maybe had it as a player? Well, and Rob, will, Rob Hummel will tell you this too. I, I think now he's, he's lightened up a little bit, not lightened up, but just changed his wording a little bit, you know, um, some of our, like looking back, some of our practices were really hard, really hard. <laughs> Tested a lot of your will and just physically, mentally, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And not that he doesn't do that now. I just, I think he does it in a different way. You know, the couple of years I was there, I was like, man, practice is only like an hour. It's, only it's like two hours during this time of the year when I play. Like just a little stuff like that. But he's, he's still the same coach and um, one of the most down to earth guys that I've known. And our relationship has kind of changed throughout the course because you go from being a recruit to a player 
um, to an alum, to a GA. So you, you get to see a lot of different sides of Coach Paint, and every side of him has been um, just as genuine as I've ever known. And, you know, he's he's a, just a wealth of <laughs> information and knowledge and stories and memories and uh, interactions with coaches that he's had and players that he's had. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of people, I think, that have a lot of bad stuff to say about him in terms of coach. Like, mm-hmm. He's, he's one of those guys and you see Ray Fells and, and those guys testimony, like it's no different for everybody here. He coaches you um, where he can try to make you a better player and what you do to help Purdue win. And that's, that's what we try to do here is how can you help us to help, help Mercer win. And uh, you know, now we're in off season stuff. Now we can develop and, and edge towards other things, but during the year, like what can we do tonight to have, have Mercer basketball win? He does a pretty, he does a really good job with guys at Purdue of that and then playing their role and, but there are some standards in terms of defensively, um, how good you are defensively, and then how often you box out and rebound. Those are those are some big things for Purdue and what they what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And for you personally, do you carry some of some of Coach Paint, a little bit of Coach Gary, or a mix of different coaches you've had um, in terms of your coaching style, or do you just kind of do it on the fly and um, do your own thing? Well, yeah, coaching styles have definitely changed the past 10 years um, in a lot of different ways. But, yeah, I've learned a little bit from each coach. But it's more about – now it's more about the player you're coaching. You know, some players can take certain things. Some players can't. Some some players perform better when you say certain things this way or if you explain them a certain way. So I think it's more of a, a one-on-one with each player. You know, you expect more from your leader. You expect more from your senior. Um, you expect more from guys that, you know, they're just not playing hard enough. You know, you can, you expect more from it, it's, it's reading each player and trying to see what you can do to have each player, you know, get the best out of them and to, put, to get them in the right mindset of, of doing that is it, it. I mean, that's what coaching is. And so I think seeing that experience in that, both as a player, uh, being around different coaches, talking to different coaches, teammates I've had that are now coaching or, you know, watch basketball every day as an analyst or, you know, commentator or assistant coach, shoot, some of them are head coaches now, whether it's the high school level or, and all that is just kind of seeing, you know, guys you played against and different coaching styles, but, you know, taking it all in. And, and like I said, it depends on the player, depends on the squad you have and how tough, how tough they are and how tough you want them to be. Mm -hmm. How often do you talk to some of the guys that you kind of mentioned, uh, whether it be like Ron Smith down at Incarnate or uh, Mm -hmm. just about basketball or just checking in with them to talk about family or what else? Um, well, group chat has probably been the best thing. I got group yeah. chats all over the place with different different coaches, different guys, friends. Um, but, you know, Ryan Smith and those guys are kind of in the, one of the daily ones, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Drew Anthrop's with the Lakers, Rob is doing his thing with ESPN, the Big Ten Network, and three-on-three, um, and Ryan down in San Antonio and Incarnate Word. Just shoot even Bob Riddell being back as – the radio guy and, and voice of Purdue basketball is pretty cool. So, um, you know, you, you stay in touch as much as you can with a lot of these guys. And that's probably one thing I need to do more of. Like you get caught in the, in the season, you get caught during workouts. You're like, man, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. Like let's reach out to him and see what's up. So that's probably, probably the biggest thing, but, um, you know, you try to stay in touch with guys and, and learn about their past, their situations, where it's taken them. It's, it's a fun part of the business and it's not an easy business, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people doing it and, and we want to be good at it. So, you know, we try to share information and help each other out whenever we can. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, that's what Purdue 
guys do. I mean, whether it's Coach Painter or, you know, those guys are always available resources to us no matter what. And that's probably one of – it's not a recruiting pitch if it's true. Like, that's that's pretty – that's a pretty cool thing to have such a family of coaches, players, um, alumni, parents. Friend. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of that. And at the same time, you learn a lot from – from those connections and from some some high level coaches and people that have been in the business for a long time, so I think now everybody's trying to figure it out as far as the transfer portal. But it still comes down to the same stuff in terms of coaching and, and wanting your players to be great. Mm-hmm. And going back to your time playing at Purdue, uh, how do you think you progress both as a person and a player on the court um, over the course of those four years? Um. Well, a lot. I mean, as a, as a high school player, I was probably a little squirrely in terms of shooting bad shots and stuff. But one thing I I always remember is just I did play as hard as I could a lot, whether it got me in trouble or it got me too many fouls. Like, I did do that. I did play extremely hard. Um, and going into my freshman year, that was – it was a it was a change because the speed of – the speed of the game speeds up. Like, mm-hmm. High school basketball to college, much faster. To the NBA, it doesn't look as fast, but I'm telling you, the NBA is so fast. Those athletes are so fast and strong. And to do 24-second shot clock up and down, I mean, those those are elite athletes, and that's why they're the best players in the world. So the speed of the game for me is I wasn't really playing that position. I was just trying to find a niche. In my freshman year, I was able to kind of find the niche at the four spot. Um, and unfortunately, it kind of came after an injury of one of our players, which I don't like to talk about. Uh, because it was sad, but at the same time, you know, it was, that's kind of where I kind of found a role to be able to, to play. And I don't know if kids lose sight of that or kids think they should be playing a different, but I, you know, I came in as a two, three shooting guard. And, um, you know, when I got to that level, I was like, dang, I just kind of look slow. I watched myself. I look slow out there. I'm not a two or three, you know, I got to be able to guard a two or three if I'm going to play the two or three. So, uh, at the four, I was able to still be able strong enough and quick enough to guard guys in the post, the four position, and then still be able to shoot the ball in the offensive position. So that's kind of where I found my niche and kind of where I where I stayed the, throughout my college career and just adapting to a role that we needed and, you know, not afraid to get your hands dirty, I think teams need more of. Yeah, I mean, you stepped into an absolute loaded team with guys like Juwan, Etwan, Robbie, Lou Jack, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, all those guys. Um, so what was it like to kind of go through those four years and you started off on a, on a super high and then it kind of dropped off in terms of team success, um, towards the end. So was that kind of difficult for you? Uh, looking back, you know, at the time it was difficult too. like my freshman year, we were you know, ranked second in the country because we had each one more, Jawan Johnson and Robbie Hummel and the players that you just mentioned that, um, that's what it was a good thing though. Cause I came in with such a standard, like Chris Kramer was the senior there. And from the first day, like you could see, this is how things were done. Like you saw how hard he played. He was just going to take your ball. He would, he did. I'd just be in practice and I'd be sitting there and he would start pressuring me and then just take my ball. Like I was a little kid and I was like, Oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta grow up quick, man. <laughs> but that was just that he kind of, that's one memory that I have. And Chris will probably might see this, but, um, but that was just one thing that I took and, and, I rolled with that. Like you, you can win games by playing as hard as that dude does. And that, that was, that's probably the biggest thing, but when I kind of progressed through though and got to my senior year, you know, my senior year, we went around 500 in the big 10 and um, struggled a little bit in terms of shooting, but you know, we didn't have great three point shooting success. And that was kind of what I did. So, you know, when the teams are scouting Purdue, it's like, Hey, he's the only one that can, 
you know, is shooting a decent percentage from three. We had some guys that made some threes and, and Tyrone had some big games for us and guys that, but overall for a Purdue standard, like normally we have two, three guys that you got to cover. So when you don't have those, you know, things defense condenses and makes it tougher to score. And, and that's what I look at it now as a coach. And at the time I was just, you know, you're frustrated, you're losing. And, yeah. you know, you don't want to be a guy, a guy that's losing and they're not frustrated. Like you don't want one of those guys in your teams. Yeah. You want guys that are frustrated and, and are kind of upset in practice to where, you know, you get the best out of your team. And I think um, our, you know, my senior year, which was 12, 13, um, AJ Hammonds was huge for us that year as, even as a, as a freshman, Ray Phil was a freshman at that time. And, and, uh, you know, Ray Phil will be the first to tell you every, everything wasn't easy when we were losing, you know, so you kind of see everyone's character and you want, you want to try to improve the best you can. And, and so you got to have those ups and downs. And that's one thing I can say, like I've seen Purdue at one of the, some of their best teams and best players and, and uh, kind of seen it both ends where we really struggled there at the end as well. So, uh, with that experience, you see what wins and you see what doesn't win. And that's one thing we try to help help our players with and understanding that, you know, Coach Gary has seen winning players. He's seen winning what it takes. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're going to keep giving you that information, give you these tips. You just have to understand that it's not going to be easy. But if you can do those things and do what's asked of you and, and just continue to consistently, it like, do those things, you're, you're going to win games. And so that's, that's one thing that we try to do with our guys is, you know, we've seen it, we've been on both sides. And I think that's a good experience to have, you know, having a, a down year, having a good year, and just remembering what, what got you there. Mm -hmm. And I have a question about Ray Fell because he talks about how he couldn't go to chair when he first came on to Purdue and then ended up being defense player of the year. Was he really that bad on defense? Uh, he might say he was, he wasn't that bad, you know, but <laughs> Every, like I said, as a freshman, I didn't know what I was good at and what I struggled with until I went out there. And I was like, dang, I got to get better at this. So, like, Ray Phil would tell you, hey, I had to get better at this. And he, you know what he did? He was one of the, he's one of those guys that's like, it's what I'm talking about. You know, when you're struggling or you hit adversity, like, what can I get better at? You know, what, what do you want to be? What do you want to be remembered by? And I think Ray Phil had, has done a good job of, you know, of showing that this is what I want to be remembered by. And that's why by the time he was a senior, you know, that, that culture had changed and, they had some some really good teams going into, you know, right before I came back as a GA. Mm -hmm. And during those first two years, obviously, you, know, you guys had a massive load of success. Um, is there a pick particular game or stretch of games that sticks out to you as most memorable? Are you talking for me as a player or GA or both or? As a player. As a player. Or, or both. I mean, we can do okay. both. Well, I've been fortunate to be a part of some pretty awesome games. Like, I was thinking about this earlier and it was, we had college game day um, when I was, was it my freshman year? No, it was my sophomore year. Cause we played Michigan state and college game day was there at Mackey arena. And that's the first time they'd ever been there. I think it might've been the only time, but that was a really cool experience because they had the fans there all day. They had the, the set set up there all day. And um, it was a good game for us. Cause we ended up, we ended up winning too. And the place was super loud. And speaking of loud, another game when each one had 38 points mm -hmm. against Ohio State and they were ranked second in the country. And that is the loudest I remember Mackey Arena as a player because as a player, I remember I kept running and crashing the glass and each one just kept making it. And it got to a point where I was like, God, I'm tired. And I, I haven't, he hasn't missed one yet. Like he just <laughs> kept making shots, but I was crashing every time. And uh, it just got to a point where, man, this is ridiculous. And each one made some crazy shot or it might have been, Jawan's dunk at the end that kind of sealed it 
but the place was so loud that I remember running back on defense and I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't, it, my ears were popping and I couldn't, I saw Aaron Kraft dribbling the ball, but there was no noise. Like it was just, it was one of the most memorable uh, as a player in Mackey arena anyway. And then obviously as a GA on the sidelines, seeing the performance from Ryan Klein and Carson Edwards in the tournament that year and the games we played versus Tennessee and Virginia, which as a Purdue fan, Tennessee was awesome and just so sickening for for the Virginia game, man. So close and such a good group of guys to get that far and amazing performance from both of them, especially Carson there versus the first Virginia just felt for him. And, um, but some of the best games I've been a part of both, you know, on the sidelines and as a player, those are, those are a few of them, even though there's there's probably a few more I could go on about. Mm -hmm. So during that elite eight run, uh, especially in the Virginia game where he scored what, like 42, when you guys came, when when they came to the sidelines, was it just like, all right, we're going to focus on our defense. Carson, you just do whatever you want. Um, it wasn't really – it wasn't said like that in the in the, in the huddle. Um, obviously, Virginia was one of the best defensive, and even offensively, they did simple stuff, but they were so good at it. You know, they screened so well for their guys, and obviously they had some players that could – really they could shoot it that could really create plays for them and they were playing their best basketball kind of like we were you know that was why I think it was one of the best games um but on the sideline it was just continue to do what we're doing we have to take them out of this take them out of that um don't give them easy looks and it was just so tough because even when we didn't give them easy looks they still hit some and it was like that it was like those are going to happen make them shoot contested shots if you we can't have any breakdowns to where they're shooting wide open shots especially a team like that. So that was probably a, a, a big priority for, you know, what for us and what we were, what we were talking about. And then offensively, it was just keep moving, spacing, screening. And then fortunate for us, it was, you can crash if you want. Like, <laughs> Carson's probably hitting it. Like in our, in, in your mind it is, but I, that's funny too, because that brings up another point. We watched in the Tennessee game. It was on TV the other, it was a few weeks ago, I think. And I'm sitting on the sideline by Coach Gary, and all my friends were like, how are you not reacting when he's hitting all these shots? Or it was, I think it was Klein we were talking about versus Tennessee. He's like, how are you sitting there so still? And I'd just been accustomed. I was, it was like watching a movie. Like I was locked in with helping Coach Gary and what we were doing offensively, and it just it just seemed like a check mark. Okay, like he hit that one. What's next? Well, shoot, they're, they're struggling that ball screen. Let's go, let's go with it again. And if you watch that game, you see him come up a ball screen, a single, single ball screen, two guys, and he's just getting his game on and shooting, and it just kind of kept working and getting him to his left hand because Carson likes to go left and shoot off his left hand. So little things like that are going what's going through Coach G's mind and how you know you can get the most out of that situation. And then defensively, Carson did a better job in the tournament of guarding people. You know, he wasn't always the best defender, but man, he really, he really helped us when he, when he played defense uh, as hard as he could. And, you know, you saw him play defense as hard as he could. It's like, you're not going anywhere. So little things like that are, you know, it's kind of what's going on on the sidelines with that stuff, but still a couple of the best games and one of the most heartbreaking losses, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that loss too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was super sad. I wasn't even there, but um I mean, you've you've had the the pleasure of watching so many great players at Purdue, playing with them, um, being one of them. Um, so, how do you what do you take away from those type of guys, like an Etwan or Carson or Robbie or Jawan? Well, you you see that it's just different because you know they weren't five star recruits out of high school. You saw Etwan progressively got 
got better. You saw Jawan progressively get better. You saw Robbie progressively, and even though they were the baby boilers and they came in and competed well from their freshman year, you still saw them improve, especially Jawan. You know, Jawan's freshman year, he didn't get a lot of minutes because his body wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And he kept working to get his body right and be able to shoot extended jumpers and get to the three-point line. And you just – I think that was probably – the biggest thing with those guys is you see development. Well, why do they develop? Because they worked on it all the time. Each one more is still in the NBA. How is each one more in the NBA? It's no secret, man. He works every day. He's a good teammate. He knows his role. He he practices all the time the right things at NBA speeds. And it's like once you get to that level and you have that that discipline and you know that professionalism about you, that's what everybody wants to get to, especially if you're a player. Um, and Rob would have been in the same position. He just had some injuries that really inhibited his growth. And Rob, he'll tell you this, he was, he was really good at a lot of things, like really good at a lot of things. Rebounding, he was pretty good at. He could shoot pretty good, shoot pretty well. And then, you know, obviously he understood offense, how to screen, how to get open shots. And, you know, he'll say in the NBA, you have to be really, really good at like maybe one thing. If you're really, really good at one thing, whether it's rebounding, whether it's blocking shots, um, whether it's passing, ball handling for the most part you know that's not everything but you know it was like to be really good at one thing in the NBA can find you a role and you can make millions of dollars playing that role and and I think a lot of kids right now at the college level don't get that because they're not looking at contracts like that but at the same time it's what's my role and how can I help this team win and if you can do the Grady Eifert thing and you can help your team win just by doing what you know and what you what you do well so it can happen. So that was probably the best thing is development of a lot of those players and watching them see how they got there and how they got as, as, as good as they've, as good as they got. Jawan's still playing too. He's playing over, mm-hmm. I think it was Turkey or he might be back in Germany now. I don't know. He's kind of bounced around. Yeah. Um, so do you have any good baby boiler stories or stories from four years at Purdue? Um, baby boiler stories. Like, well, I committed early as like a 16 year old, like after my sophomore year. Um, so I'd watch Purdue and, and the, coach Payne and all those guys would tell you, I was probably, I'd made the most unofficial visits of any recruit ever because <laughs> I was 25 minutes down the road. And I was like, Hey, you got a couple of tickets. So we'd go to all the games and I pretty much knew a lot of the players before I even got on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was helpful. And just being able to watch at that time, the baby boilers play, even though they were freshmen, I was, you know, excited to be a recruit, a commit and, and coming in to, to play with those guys. So, um, that's probably one, one thing about it you don't know is that I came all the time as a recruit, man. Sometimes they won, sometimes they lost, but it was, it was, it was fun. It was really fun. That was before all the renovations too. Like, you know, that I think a lot of people forget that Purdue's facilities now are so nice. Yeah. Like seriously, super nice basketball, football, women's basketball, volleyball. Like they're all extremely nice. And when I committed there, like none of that was there. So I still remember what it looked like before. And I'm like, man, not a lot of people remember that. You know, there obviously there are some, but players now they're like, oh, this is nice. Like, man, I committed before. I was just excited to be here, excited to be around all the guys, all the players. We had a you know, little locker room, little couch and TV and stuff like that. So um, it's it's awesome that Coach Paints built it into what it is now and had the success that he's had. Mm-hmm. And last thing before I let you go, um, who was the best player you played against at Purdue and the best player that you played with? Okay. Um, the best player that I played against at Purdue. Shoot, man. There was a lot of, there was a lot of teams that we played that had, had really good players. 
um, sometimes good games against us. Um, man, the Indiana team that had Cody Zeller, Vic Aladipo, Jordan Holes. And I grew up with Jordy. I played with Jordan Holes all the time. But man, they're, those two years they had, they, they had some really good games. And when Aladipo got to his, you know, that second year, he was, he was extremely good. Um, so they had a great team. Man. And um, shoot, who else? Even Ohio State has, like, had guys that played well against us, like, whether it was Deshaun Thomas or my freshman year, Evan Turner. Um, when we played Michigan State, like, I was guarding Draymond Green. <laughs> like, he's, he's, he's a pretty good player, right? So, like, there was a few of them. Um, so it's tough to come down to just one because um, there's a lot of good college players that some are in the NBA now, some are the guys that have had success in the NBA. Um, those are probably the, the ones that have been the best. Mm-hmm. And then what about, I mean, I'm going to make you pick what okay. your, the best play you played with at Purdue. You got to pick one. Got to pick one. Best player I played with at Purdue. Since I played with, gosh, it's got to be each one more. Each one more. Because he could score it so well. Mm-hmm. Like he could score it, but you know, like. He wasn't the fastest dude or the strongest dude or the most explosive. He's the only guy that I've seen <laughs> dunk his own free throw. I don't know if people remember that, but we played with West Virginia at Mackey Arena, and this dude shot a free throw, and it bounced on the rim, and he legally waited for it to hit the rim and jumped up and dunked it. <laughs> and I was like, why was that never, like, on top ten? That was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. So, like, he was always crafty and could shoot floaters and threes and – um and I think I think the other guys would agree with me on that. But at the same time, there's been some good players I've played with, with Juwan and Rob, those guys. But I got to go with each one just because he could score so well. But I, I don't remember. Well, I was only, what, nine? Or... Been, yeah, that would have been 2000, probably 2011. So the, I was like up, 10 but... or 11 when that happened. I don't remember. Right. That, That's insane. Right. Just, the, yeah, a quick fact. Look it up. If, I don't know where it's at. It might be on YouTube. Um pretty impressive play by each one though but yeah he's 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 pretty skilled man and that's why he is where he is today he's he's with phoenix and i think he's right behind chris paul there in the, in the depth chart area so he's mm-hmm. doing all right for himself yeah for sure all mm-hmm. right um i'm gonna let you go i've held you a little bit over a little bit oh, no over, worries but uh yeah, i really appreciate you taking the time to do this mm-hmm. um, i mean it's awesome for purdue fans to watch you and coach gary have success at mercer um so all the success going forward and um stay safe down there all right man i appreciate it and uh appreciate having me on the show and uh good luck to you and all you're doing too it looks like it's going pretty well man i'll be following you yep thank you so much yep have a good one you too